My name is Lena Sun. I'm a health reporter on the national staff of The Washington Post. I have been covering the pandemic since January 8th of 2020. You know, as this health and science reporter at The Post, you've been one of the main people who's led coverage of the pandemic. What has that been like for you? I was thinking about that um, as we approached this third anniversary. And it has gone by in such a blur in some ways. But the early moments of the pandemic really, really stuck in my mind when we realized how bad this was going to be. In the three years that followed, we've depended on Lena Sun for her essential reporting on the pandemic to find out how the coronavirus spreads, how social distancing and masking can keep us safe, how vaccines work, and how the politics and policies of the last few years have gotten in the way of science. I just remember very clearly that in March, there was so much, March of 2020, so much confusion about the masking policy. And I remember very carefully reporting about internal memos the CDC had sent to the White House saying, you know what, guys, we need to change the masking policy. But this was the Trump White House, and they sat on that. And it took them several days before they actually came out and said, okay, you know what, we are going to recommend masks. But Trump immediately undercut that message by saying he would not wear one. And so Lena was in the thick of this, reporting on all this chaos, but she was also living through it herself and experiencing firsthand how COVID was upending our world and our families. Around the same time, my mother got sick. My mother died on April 30th of 2020. Mm. Her caregivers were taking care of her, but it was so confusing and No one really knew, and the retirement complex where she lived, I don't think, had sufficient protocols in place. Lena's mother, Yu Liwa, died of COVID in April of 2020. Nobody was able to be at my mom's bedside when she died Mm. because of the COVID protocols. And that was really hard for us. And then, on top of that loss, last year, Lena's sister, Anna, died of pancreatic cancer. This loss was even more unexpected, and it felt different. She died in two months after her diagnosis, and that loss hit me a lot harder. And so it made me think, I wonder, what is there some, what is going on with grief? Why do I feel this way about my sister? And obviously I felt sad when my mom died, but why is it different? Um, And I wanted to look into it more and, you know, report it out. It's been three years since the pandemic began. And in the U.S. alone, more than a million people have died of COVID. Even now, hundreds of people are dying of COVID each day. Loss has also been different during this time. There's the pain of not being able to have closure and say goodbye initially. And then there's the unexpectedness of that loss and also just the sheer scale of it. Reflecting on the last few years and all of this, Lena's son has been thinking about our collective grief and her own experience and whether there's anything we can learn from it. 
it's tough, but you know, maybe there is a story to be done about the science of grief. Like, what are we learning from the pandemic? So many people have lost loved ones. And, you know, to do it from a scientific point of view. We know from research that occurred before the pandemic in how grief works that the unexpectedness of a death tends to predict a a more severe grief response. And so what we found was that during the pandemic, that relationship remained true. More unexpected death meant more severe grief, but so many more deaths were unexpected. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Alana Gordon. I'm your guest host today. It's Thursday, March 9th. Today, Lena and I talk about the science of grief and what we can all learn to help us through this process. Can you tell us a little bit about your family, about your mom? So my mother was a writer. She was one of the most acclaimed writers of her generation, female writers. She wrote about the immigrant life of Chinese in the diaspora, but mostly in the United States. So she drew on her own experience. And was she writing in English, Chinese? She was writing, uh, she wrote almost all in Chinese. And that is what she always wanted to do. And she achieved her dream. She had three children, and the youngest was my sister, who lived in Taiwan until she was about five years old. Can you tell me about your sister a little bit? My sister's name was Anna, but she called us by, not by our names, but by our by our Chinese relationship. So I was older sister, I was Jiejie, and my brother was uh, older brother, Gugu. For my sister, family was everything. She became the keeper of all memories. She remembered if I did not hold her hand crossing the street. She remembered who got mad or who was having a hissy fit during XYZ Christmas. She remembered everything. And some years ago, she interviewed my mother um, and had her go from start to finish. This is the first recording of mom's story, mom's biography, starting from when she was born and her background um, and where they lived. Okay, go ahead, mom. Okay. Oh, wow, that's so special. Yeah, and in it, there are a couple key moments, some stories that I have heard before. And one of them is that when she was in elementary school, she was already writing and how an elementary school teacher spotted her talent and told her so that she was special and how my mom always remembered that as this inspiration this 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 founding inspiration that sort of led her to become to affirmed her as a writer hmm. so last year my younger sister was diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer. It was very fast. Her tumor was not resectable, meaning it could not be surgically removed. And with this kind of cancer, the chemotherapy was not expected to do a whole lot. 
and we knew she would not have long to live, but I didn't expect it to be so fast. She died in two months after her diagnosis, and that loss hit me a lot harder. I wanted to find out why did I feel so much more grief and loss when my sister died as opposed to my mom? And was my experience different or similar to what others are experiencing during the pandemic? So when you started looking into the science of grief, who did you want to talk to about this? I started reading her book, The Difference Between Grief and Grief. Mary Frances O'Connor is a professor at the University of Arizona, and she studies the biology of grief. And I had read her book called The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Love and Loss. When I'm explaining the neurobiology of grief, I find it's helpful to give sort of this concrete example, uh, the idea that your dining room table has been stolen. She explained it to me this way, and it's also in her book, and it really helped me to understand. If you imagine that somehow your dining room table has gone missing. If you walk through your dining room in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, when you walk through that space where the dining room table should be, you feel the space. You feel the absence of where it should be. And that's really hard for a neuroscientist to explain, right? Because perception works by having a physical sensation and those nerve signals get transferred to the brain. It's much harder to explain why we would feel something that's not there. And so the, the analogy here to grief is that many of us are carrying around the absence of a person who should be in the room. They should be there at Christmas, or they should be there, you know, when our when our daughter gets married. And so that carrying the absence is because we continue to rely, our brain relies on this attachment neurobiology that expects I will always be there for you and you will always be there for me. And consequently, I can't quite understand why you're not here even if I know the reality is that you have died. Grief is like that dining room table is your loss and it's gone. And so then your brain has to figure out a new way to navigate the path to the kitchen. It, it, it thinks that there's a dining room table there because you're used to time and again going there, but now there's no dining room table. And you have to figure out a new way to deal with it. And she explains mm. that maybe after maybe a spouse has lost her husband and the husband always comes home at six o'clock at night, the garage door opens and in he walks, that you're, you have to train your brain to think differently for when you don't listen for that garage door and that person's not walking through the door anymore, but you still have a relationship with that person. So you are trying to reconcile what's going on in your brain. Mm. I thought the dining room table thing sort of really helped crystallize it for me. What other questions did you have for Mary Frances O'Connor? Like, what else did you want to ask her about grief? I wanted to find out, for example, the impact for so many people in this pandemic of not being able to have closure, a memorial service, um, sit shiva, anything to make real that this person is gone. Mm -hmm. And she said, of course, that 
having a memorial service, going through the process of contacting relatives and doing all the stuff that leads up to it is a way that you recognize that the person is dead. They're not here anymore on this earth, and that will help you process. She also made this really good point about the difference between grief and grieving. Grief is that acute emotion that just overwhelms you Mm -hmm. and that hits you that could be sparked by something. And it can hit you again and again, probably for the rest of your life. Yeah, like even in this conversation. But grieving is what you do to learn how to navigate the world without this loved person. Grief is in the moment. It's that natural response to being aware that someone so important is gone, is missing. And that wave of grief, we sometimes call it, that just overwhelms us with emotions or thoughts or feelings. Grieving, on the other hand, is the way that grief changes over time, right? It's a process. I would need to And it can take time and everybody is different. And then I also wanted to ask her, well, why why was my sister's death, why did that hit me so much harder than my mom? And she said, well, it was the unexpectedness of the loss. Because in my mom's case, my mom died when she was 90. And in our minds, for older people, it's not unexpected that you would eventually die. We didn't know my sister was sick. We didn't know my sister was that sick. And it was incredibly fast. We know from research that occurred before the pandemic in how grief works that the unexpectedness of a death tends to predict a a more severe grief response. And so what we found was that during the pandemic, that relationship remained true more unexpected death meant more severe grief, but so many more deaths were unexpected. But what it means is in our research and and in research done by others, it isn't necessarily whether you died of COVID that really was the the thing that predicted uh, high levels of grief, but rather whether the death was unexpected. And then I also really wanted to know, since I'm a reporter, Was there something about the pandemic? Is grief different during the pandemic? And she said, this is what I found most surprising. The most common response to loss is resilience. Human beings are incredibly resilient and our motivation to connect with each other is so strong that many of us developed new ways to have funeral and memorial rituals. So, you know, an uncle of mine passed away and the Catholic Mass was actually live-streamed. I've never seen anything like that before. And, and many people that we interviewed in research talked about having had Zoom funerals and that there was a way in which there was a certain intimacy created that individuals were able to speak in a way that they might not have been able to in a very formal uh, funeral service. Uh, and they found that very meaningful. So I think the human need to reach out means that we also innovated in the middle of a pandemic. In other words, people are able to rally. They don't fall apart. They don't become dysfunctional for long periods of time. They get through it. And that hasn't changed 
in the pandemic unless there were other factors that, you know, made this grieving process, this learning process harder, Hmm. like financial stress or work stress or all those, anything. She explained in a way that helped me understand anything that makes learning harder Mm -hmm. will make that grieving process harder. But the most common response to loss and death is resilience. The second most common is guilt. Because I felt that way after my mom died. Hmm. I was able to move on. I did other things. I took part in life, and also that way after my sister. And I felt guilty about that. But she explained that grief is only part of life and that you have to embrace everything else that's happening and that your loved ones would want you to live a full life that includes joy. You know... You have to go on with life. You have to function. Um, And these are all things that we've also learned generally from the pandemic is what we missed so much was the lack of social connection. And so I tried to deepen my relationships with my family and friends, make new friends that creates all different things in the brain Mm -hmm. and be outside be in nature. Nature is healing. Go on hikes, cook, bake, do things for other people. That made me feel good. Um, Read poetry. And when she said that, yes, this is normal. These are part of of your toolkit for strategies, you know, for coping. Um, That gave me some sense of peace. After the break, we step back from Lena's personal experience to reflect on how we can all make sense of this loss on the three-year anniversary of the pandemic. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. We're talking right now, this week, it's the three-year anniversary of the pandemic. Three years. And as you mentioned, our society has experienced this magnitude of loss that is so difficult for us to cognitively, neurologically wrap our heads around. 
How do you think collectively we should be thinking about grief right now? I think so many people are going, have have gone on this journey, are continuing on this journey. I've learned just in the process of doing this reporting that it's okay, but that we also have to process what happened and talk about the ones we lost and laugh and cry and live as full a life as we can because that's what they would have wanted for us. And I mean, I feel as a reporter very disheartened by how polarized the country has become and how things that are grounded in science became so politicized. And I'm not sure that the country is better prepared for the next pandemic. And that really depresses me because there will be one. Mm-hmm. So that's that's disheartening in a very big way. <laughs> I wish I could be more upbeat about that part. It's almost like your, your mourning as a healthcare reporter, kind of where we are at from this experience broadly in terms of preparing and preventing future loss is sort of what you're saying. Yeah, I just feel like it's not, it's not going to be easy. I also wonder how you reconcile at so many points in the pandemic, whether now, earlier, or kind of year two, there's this tension of wanting to move on and being ready to move on um, while this virus is circulating. And while so many of us still are experiencing loss, people are still continuing to get COVID and, and die. And so I wonder, based on your reporting, but also looking at your research into how we grieve, how do you reconcile that tension? I think that there was one thing that Mary Frances said which was interesting. You know, there's a lot that has been made of the five stages of grief. There's this idea that when we experience a loss, we go through these five stages. It's like a classic decades-old idea. Like, here's the path. Here's what happens for everybody. Right. And what she was telling me was that, actually, that is that was the description of some at the time. But it's not what happens to everybody. And in that in those stages. Mm -hmm. Um, And I keep coming back to the idea of resilience. And that was so interesting to me that even during the pandemic, this was the common reaction. The human spirit does rise up and finds a way to do a memorial service on Zoom or other creative ways, you know, if they can. And to to make it through without falling apart, without becoming dysfunctional, and that it's okay to feel that way. Because what you're saying and how you're making sense of this moment is maybe it's not there's a moving on, there's a resiliency. We can look at some of this as we're both wrestling with these losses in our lives and in our loved ones' lives, that the idea of having life kind of resume in these different ways, 
there's a resiliency to that and not necessarily an ignoring, depending on how we look at it. Yeah, and it's okay. It's totally okay. And in fact, it's healthy to do. Thank you, Lena, for your resiliency in sharing this story and also leading pandemic coverage that all of us have relied on so deeply these past three years. Thank you for having me. Lena's son is a health and science reporter for The Washington Post. Make sure to check out our show notes, where we'll share a link to Lena's powerful essay about losing her mom and sister during the pandemic. That's it for Post Reports. Thank you so much for listening. This story was produced by Sabi Robinson and edited by Maggie Penman. It was mixed by Sean Carter. I'm Alana Gordon. Thank you for having me as your guest host today. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hold up. 